We were at the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did so many different things, different miracles, different sermons. He challenged people. He had some great days, and he also had some difficult days here. Every time you look at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew 7, it's pretty much a synopsis of the Christian life. I mean, that's what he, that's what he talked about. And of course, we have the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world, where Jesus just went through so many different things. And I wanted to run through some of the things that he talked about and then hit on some specifics. You'll notice uh, the Beatitudes, that's in Matthew chapter 5, where he talks about the attitude that we should have. If we know Christ personally, we should have this attitude. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who were persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he starts out in Matthew 5 talking about this, this attitude, and, and I've heard it said that your attitude, not your aptitude, will take you to another altitude. Jesus begins, though, to unpack some things. He was the master at using word pictures. He talks about that we should be salt. How many people in here like salt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what? You should be salt. I should be salt as I live for Jesus wherever I am. I should season my marriage, season my family responsibilities. I should season those I'm rubbing shoulders with in the marketplace. Also, he said, we should, we should be light. You know, we're, he said, I'm the light of the world, and because we know Christ, we should have our lights on constantly. So, so when people look at you and they look at me, they should literally see a light in the darkness. Then, though, I, I think it's interesting in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5, how Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. It's very important because when God gave us the law over in the Old Testament, no one could fulfill it. No one could do it. And only in our depravity would we add stuff to it. And as you know, 613 laws were added to the Ten Commandments. It was kind of funny. Uh, God's people couldn't keep the Ten Commandments, so, hey, let's add 613 more. <laughs> Surely a bunch of lawyers got together and did that. But anyway, anyway, the foreshadowing and the prophecy was that someone would come and perfectly, perfectly fulfill the law. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, when he was sitting down preaching, the greatest sermon ever preached, I've come to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law perfectly. That's why a lot of the times you'll hear us say, Jesus lived righteously. We say, man, that's righteous. Well, he performed perfectly. And only a sinless sacrifice was sufficient to pay for your sins and mine. Then he uh, went to a holy another level. Because if you keep reading in verses 21 and following, I'm just running through this, he talks about the Ten Commandments, but then he takes the Ten Commandments and takes them to a holy another level. 
he talks about murder. He goes, you know, one of the Ten Commandments says, you know, don't kill. It's pretty, pretty obvious. Well, Jesus says, if you look at someone on the freeway who cut you off with uncontrolled anger or a murderous spirit, you, my friend, have committed murder. That means, you know, what, all of us are murderers? And then he goes into something very, very tough. He talks about adultery. And I'm sure the people were thinking, oh, man, I've not committed adultery. I'm a one-woman man. Or, or, or the women are like, oh, I'm married to this guy. Jesus says, taking it to a holy other level, if you've looked at a man or a woman with lustful thoughts, you have committed adultery. Sometimes people ask me this question. This is so funny. They'll go, they'll go hey, Ed, um, now, you know, the Old Testament talks about tithing, bringing the 10%, the minimum worship requirement to the house of God. Where is it mentioned in the New Testament? People say that to me all the time. Well, Jesus talked about it, for one, but I point them to this because, again, everything was to a holy nother level. Most committed Christians, get ready for this, most committed and faithful Christ followers in the New Testament who were part of a church, they gave 30-40% of what God blessed them with. <laughs> Let's change the subject. Okay, okay. <laughs> Moving right along. And Jesus says just, just radical stuff like, like loving your enemies. Okay, think about that person who's a jerk. Think about that person who has betrayed you. Think about that person who stabbed you in the back. It could have been an ex-spouse, business partner, someone way in the past. Maybe someone took advantage of you in a way you've never shared before. What would happen and what will happen when we pray for people like that? It doesn't mean we have to like them. It doesn't mean that, we, that we're, we're idiots and, and, and that we don't build barriers and boundaries. I mean, you know, we have to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but loving your enemies, we should love everyone because we've never locked eyes with someone that Jesus has not died for. So, this is radical stuff, isn't it? And then he talks about prayer, the model prayer. Here's how to pray. And he goes through this outline, and, and I have in my notes here, P-R-A-Y. That's kind of the outline of prayer. You have the praise, you have the repentance, you have the asking, and you have the yielding. But as you go through the Lord's Prayer, I did a series on the Lord's Prayer several years ago. You see the outline. And, and what I want you to think about in the Lord's Prayer is when Jesus said that we're to pray, hey, it's not my will, God, it's your will. Now, I can't use God. I can't use God. God can, if he wants to, and he will, use me and use you, but I can't use him. And there's a lot of popular teaching out there these days that, that kind of tells us we can use God. We can, if we have enough faith, faith is like currency, then we'll get our miracle, we'll get our, you know, Rolls Royce, or we'll get our promotion just by the essence of, of, of having faith. So who am I to impose my will on God's will? Do you, you see what I'm saying to you? So every time I pray, I've got to say, God, it's, it's not my will, it's your will. And, 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 and that's what um, 
Jesus is, is, is driving at. And then, of course, he talks about treasures. You know, he, he talked about material possessions so much. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the treasure test. That's it. And I heard it said to me, uh, wow, a couple of decades ago, you know, Ed, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That's why as we invest in the things of God, and the only thing that Jesus ever built was the church, we're sending our resources ahead. So all I have to do is look at your financial statement. All you have to do is look at my finances, and you can tell who is number one in my life. That quick. That quick. And that's one of the reasons I love the app as far as the resource challenge, because the app assures us electronically that the first fruits are going to his house. And then Jesus talks about don't worry. I mean, I mean, we, we, we live in a land of, of being stressed out and anxious. You know the word anxious in the Bible means to, to choke? You ever feel like you're choking? I do. I do. I do. And, 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 and that's why Jesus says, man, why are you, why are you worrying? You know, uh, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not your life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds, he says. And, and he goes on and on about, about worry. And then in chapter 7, he keeps going and going and going, and I want to spend just a couple of minutes on the last part of this text that Jesus uses when he summarizes the Christian life. Now this text I'm going to read, and this, this uh, scenario is not one that's preached about very much. It's not talked about very much. It's not popular. In fact, it's highly unpopular in our pluralistic culture. Highly unpopular. Because it's like up in our grill, up in our face. But we have to remember, this is Jesus who's given us the whole flow of the Christian life, and now he ends it with something that is highly sobering. Highly sobering. I want you to think about your life. Don't think about the person on your right, on your left. You think about your life. So remember, we're at the spot right now, the Sea of Galilee. We're here in this space, in this place, where Jesus unpacked this radical, radical talk. And, and, let, me, and let me read uh, these, these uh, verses to you out of Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and following. And, and these are not verses that you're going to see plastered on plaques or T-shirts or coffee mugs or muscle shirts. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to see these verses, but Jesus spent a long time talking about them. Enter, he says in verse 13, Matthew 7, through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. A few. 
Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. <laughs> but inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Then he continues. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, there's the word again, will say to me on that last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. So I could go on and on, but basically Jesus is talking about two gates or two roads, you could say. The broad road, many are on that, and the narrow road, few are on that. He talks about a couple of fruit trees, good fruit and bad fruit. And then he talks about, I didn't read it, but just trust me, it's in there, two foundations. The guy that builds his foundation on the rock and the other one who builds his foundation on the sand. Jesus just unpacked for us four freakishly frightening biblical facts. Four of them. And they're not talked about a lot. It's not popular anymore. Again, in our politically correct culture, but we've got to teach and preach the Bible. I was telling someone at dinner a few nights ago, sometimes I, I, I told them, when I'm preaching God's word, I don't want to preach certain messages. I just don't. But they're in the Bible, I have to. Do you see what I'm saying to you? It's not like, oh boy, I want to preach the conclusion of Matthew chapter 7. No. I don't enjoy talking about this. I mean, I have to. I'm compelled to. That's like in our church. I mean, every single song that we, that we do is not necessarily my favorite song. You know, it might be a shocker to some people. Really? No, it's not. But we do things, and I've learned I have to do things as a believer and as a leader, so do you, to get out of my comfort zone to reach others. So four freakishly frightening facts. Number one, and this is against the backdrop of Matthew 7, everyone is not going to be saved. Everyone is not going to be saved. God does not grade on a cosmic curve. God doesn't say, well, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. Come on in. Now, there, there are two ways to get to heaven. I thought there was one way, John 14, 6. Well, there's two ways. God tells us if we're perfect, we can get into heaven. I mean, if I bat a thousand at the moral batting plate every single time, when I die, when I, when I, when I clock out of here, God's going to say, Ed, dude, you were perfect. Dude, perfect. You were perfect. 
chest bump, boom, high five. You perform your way in, my man. But hey, I, I'm a self-centered sinner. I'm fallen and fallible. I'm messed up. My moral scorecard doesn't look good. There are no degrees to sin. And I have this tendency, I don't know about you, to go, oh, man, I'm better than John. I mean, I'm just, I'm serious. I'm, I'm just a better Christian, you know? And, and isn't that interesting? We have that, that, that the humanistic uh, uh, vibe to, 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 to do that. But I'm just here to tell you, everyone is not going to be saved. That's uh, universalism. People say, well, if I'm sincere, I'll get into heaven. You can be sincerely wrong. I mean, I love espresso. But if I poured arsenic in that double espresso I had about 20 minutes ago, I would sincerely die. See what I'm saying to you? So, that, you know, it sounds sexy and cool, but that's just not the deal. So that's the first one. Second one, more people will be lost more people will be lost and saved. These aren't my words. Don't, don't get upset at me. Jesus said, many. You hear that? Many, many, many. And, and many are going down the broad road, and it's like everything is fine, everything is good, everything is chill and all that. Many, 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 many. Most people are not saved. Number three, another freakishly frightening biblical fact. Again, we're talking about he's summarizing. Jesus is summarizing the, the greatest sermon ever preached. This is the, the essence of the Christian life. I mean, it's pretty tough, isn't it? It is to me. Most people who think they're saved aren't. Now, when I first began to think about that and meditate on that, I thought, oh, come, no, no way. I mean, most people... Uh, is that, can that be right? But the older I have gotten, the more people I see, there's more faux faith. There, 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 are more, there are more people who say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer, but they live like hell. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. However, Jesus said, I will know my followers by the fruit they produce. So I believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. No doubt about it. It's in this book. I also believe, though, that Jesus will know us by the fruit, Galatians 5, that we produce. Huh. So someone goes, yeah. I've prayed a little prayer, done a little deal with God, and then they're living like hell. Jesus said, you know, we're not to judge people, but I've got to wonder in my mind. I mean, I'm not God. I don't know. So, so these are, man, sobering, sobering thoughts. Most who think they're saved aren't. So that means we have a lot of people who attend our churches who in reality have never, ever, ever really truly, sincerely made that faith decision. So again, I'm not trying to get you to question whether or not you're a Christian. I mean, doubt and faith run on parallel tracks. So I understand that, but 
I am getting you to, to take inventory, to take stock. Does that, does that uh, make sense? Now, the fourth frightening fact, and the final one. So the first one is everyone's not going to be saved. Number two, more people will be lost than saved. Number three, most who think they're saved aren't. Number four, you'll not get another chance. The Bible says we die, boom, we're in the presence of God. We're not going to get another chance. I've had people say, oh, yeah, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to wheel and deal and kind of deal with God. I'm going to talk to him. No, no. Done. Over. So what we do on this side of the dirt, the decisions we make on this side of the dirt determine where we will spend forever on the other side of the dirt because we're all facing forever. Every single person. And forever is a long, long time. And we're going to go to a place and we're going to see places outside the city of J-Town, Jerusalem, that were used as word pictures, Gehenna and others, that depicted hell. Hell is a place of isolation, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the forever feeling that you had an opportunity to trust the Lord, but kept putting him off. You kept him at bay. And basically, when we die, God is not going to slam dunk us to hell. God's going to say, you know what? You kept me at bay. On that side of the dirt, well, on this side of the dirt, have at it, my man. You're going to spend eternity away from me forever and ever and ever. That's why we, as believers, should have an urgency in our lives. That's why our church, for 28 years, we've had an urgency when it comes to sharing the good news. An urgency. Because if you look at the life of Christ, when he began his ministry... At 30 years of age, he talked about reaching people. He talked about rescuing people. Read about it. And right before he ascended, Matthew 28, he talked about reaching people. So there's, there's only one thing we can't do in heaven that we can do here. Reach people. So we don't shy away, isn't that great, from talking about this and teaching this. So the greatest sermon ever preached, right here, in this space, in this place. And it ends with something really, really sobering. But something that is amazing because we're all saved and rescued by grace through faith. We have the light. We're producing the fruit. We're on the narrow road. We're going home forever and ever in heaven. We've got that. But that should also inspire us and motivate us and stimulate us to share that good news with others. Maybe, just maybe, I don't know, in a crowd this size, you've never sincerely prayed that prayer before. Maybe, just maybe, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I've nailed that decision down with God before. Well, in a couple of moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right here. I mean, there's not a better place. God is, in his sovereignty, which, he, which means he's supernaturally synchronized our lives to come together just for this time. So I want to challenge you, if you've never prayed that prayer, just to pray it with me right where you are. 
if you prayed the prayer before, you pray for some here who need to pray that prayer or others back home that you know who need to pray that prayer and thank God for a rescue society like Fellowship Church who's all about challenging people to pray that prayer because so many people that we see each and every day are just one prayer away from eternity. And I have an opportunity, and so do you, to be that salt, that light, that witness to people that God has placed in our lives. The greatest sermon ever preached. Let's bow our heads. Every head is bowed. Just for a second, every eye is closed. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you want to nail this decision down, Right now, if you want to say, okay, this is my time. I mean, I'm at the Sea of Galilee where the greatest sermon ever preached was preached by our sovereign, sinless, singular Savior, Jesus. I want to nail this decision down right here, God. Would you say this? Just say this prayer after me. In fact, I'm going to get everyone here to say it because when we're saying it out loud, we're going to give some people the confidence to say it around us, okay? Let's, 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 just, let's just say this together. And I'm going to say it too. And just repeat these words after me. Dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I confess that to you. And turn from that. And right now, I ask you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And rose again. Take control of me, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Save me. Give me your spirit to produce the kind of fruit that you have in store for me. Thank you for this time. For this church. For our guides. For your land. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want us to pray right now for people in our lives who need to know these facts at the right time. Because I know people that you don't know, you know people that I don't know. And let's just pray right now for, let's just say, three people that God's placing on your life right now. Let's just, let's just mention these names when I count to three aloud and just pretend like there is a, is a tube going from your life all the way to, to heaven, all the way to the throne of heaven. And I'm going to mention these names aloud. I want you to mention three names, and let's just pray for these. Are you ready? One. Let's do it. Two, three. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Let's see. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.